morning and welcome to your March 2022 general membership meeting. My name is Aaron Fox and I'm the 2022 GLAR president. Today's general membership meeting will be a national economic update with Dr. Lawrence Yoon with the National Association of Realtors as their chief economist. I'd like to issue a thank you to all of our affiliate members for all that they do for us and our association. Let's give them a round of applause for their support in making all of our events happen. Please welcome Craig Puckett with the Association, Government Affairs Director. He's going to be announcing our RPAC Cup winners for 2021. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, just a quick update before we get to the winners. Uh, the RPAC committee is making uh, their phone calls this week with their uh, spring phone bank. So you might get a call uh, from one of them talking about our pack. Uh, secondly, on, for those that are here, you'll notice uh, there's little placards there uh, with a QR code. So if you'd like to make your investment, you can just click that. It'll take you to uh, our advocacy page uh, where you can scroll to the bottom and there's a link to invest. Uh, but we'll go on to the winners. So uh, our pack cup is broken into three groups, small, medium, and large. Uh, so it is, the winner is based on participation. And if there's a tie for participation, it goes to the highest average investment. So uh, to begin, we'll start with the first one uh, this, for the small brokerage, uh, Beth Graham, 100% participation. Okay, for the medium brokerage, uh, we have uh, Coldwell Banker Fruin with 100% participation. They weren't able to be here today, so they're attending virtually. Um, and lastly, for the large uh, brokerage, uh, the winner is Keller Williams with 75% participation. It's so great to see face. I know. All right. Uh, congratulations to all the winners. Um, one final note, uh, I'd like to just remind everyone uh, and encourage everyone to sign up for the uh, Realtor Party mobile text alerts. Uh, this is a way to uh, keep up to date with any uh, call for actions uh, and the number will come up on the screen. You can just text uh, Realtor to 30644. As a reminder for our winners, if you could, um, right after the GMM is over, uh, hang out for a few pictures. That would be wonderful. Uh, a couple quick other GLAR updates. Friendly reminder, we're in the first year of the three-year cycle for the mandatory NAR membership code of ethics requirement, 2022 to 2024. Uh, upcoming GMMs, May 19th. Uh, 
the association spring legal update with Jared Roberts from Fraser Trebilcock. And April 21st, GMM social and fair housing seminar with myself and Becky Jean from Michigan Realtors. And now we have a quick video. Hi, I'm Joe Vitale, the MLS Chair. I want to remind all my fellow Realtors about adhering to the Clear Cooperation Policy. The Clear Cooperation Policy states that within one business day of marketing a listing, an agent must enter it in the MLS. This ensures you're exposing your client's property to the largest buyer pool available. Members who work to avoid using the MLS are not only violating NAR's Clear Cooperation Policy, but also potentially committing a fair housing and code of ethics violation. Remember, the sole purpose of the MLS is for cooperation and compensation. This allows for transparency in the transaction, which best serves realtors and consumers alike. If you are avoiding using the MLS, are you really working in the best interest of your client or yourself? We hold our members to the highest standards when it comes to fairness and cooperation. Members will receive a $1,000 fine for violating this policy. Please reach out to the association or myself with any questions you may have. Thank you. Just so that you're aware, the source for Con Ed training is cemarketplace.net. Thank you all for joining us and please join me in welcoming our speaker, Dr. Lawrence Yoon. As I mentioned, Dr. Yoon is Chief Economist with the National Association of Realtors and oversees the research group. He supervises and is responsible for a wide range of research activity, include, including NARS existing home sales statistics, affordability index, home buyers and sellers profile report. Good morning, Dr. Yoon, and welcome. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, uh, President uh, Aaron Fox, for inviting me to share some of my thoughts uh, with all. Uh, I'm assuming that the technology is working. You can hear me fine. Uh, I'm glad that this is a hybrid so that people who want to can attend virtually, but uh, to see people gather in person, you know, trying to get back to normal, uh, that is a great thing. I am in Washington, D.C., uh, and commute coming from uh, my home to here is still very light, uh, which means that office buildings are still fairly empty, uh, especially the federal government employees, uh, are so many consultancy company in K Street, the lobbying, uh, they're essentially working from home. Um, so you know, trying to get back to normal slowly uh, is a good step, uh, but I can say that right now, at least in Washington, uh, it is still, uh, pretty much, you know, people working from home. Well, thank you for uh, inviting uh, the economic circumstances uh, where, you know, a lot of wild cards are out there. At first, you know, there is that invasion, uh, the Russian invasion uh, into Ukraine, uh, which is causing havoc uh, in the oil market, uh, but also, you know, raising questions about uh, whether or not there could be a global social protest as the food prices are rising. I mean, for us, you know, when food prices rise, is an irritating, is eating into our pocketbooks. But in other countries, uh, say like Pakistan, Egypt, 
uh, when food prices rise, they begin to have a, a large degree of uh, protest. So whether or not that leads to that circumstance, uh, let's hope for peace quickly. Uh, then uh, we have the situation uh, where here in the US, the stock market, uh, we was record high as of December last year, but since then, uh, very wobbly, uh, you know, and how does that change the dynamics? All this, I speak a little better with the PowerPoint slide. So let me put that onto the screen and hopefully people in person, uh, you can see it on the screen clearly. Uh, for people who are uh, sitting in office or your home uh, through your computer monitors, uh, I think you'll be able to see it fairly clearly. So hold one second. Okay, so here we are. So, so let's first start with the oil prices uh, because uh, this is uh, very important for realtor members. Uh, realtor members drive more than the general population. So we know Americans are hurting, but people who need to drive, you know, truck drivers, realtors, they're getting hit more so uh, because of this high oil prices. And what can we anticipate? Maybe it will go down, uh, maybe uh, it will stay elevated. But I thought it is instructive to show this long-term oil price. This is from 1970. 1970, uh, you know, this West Texas crude, but it will be a very similar trend, say the London Brent uh, crude oil, because uh, all move similarly. In 1970, a barrel of oil, not a gallon, a barrel of oil was $3. And then there was an OPEC formation and an embargo. When that occurred, price of oil went up from $3 per barrel to $30 per barrel, tenfold increase. Can you imagine tenfold increase in price of anything, especially regarding something that people really need, oil? So what that meant was that any oil producers were raking it in. Saudi Arabia, just money flowing in. Russia, money flowing in. Or back then, Soviet Union, money flowing into the Soviet Union. J.R. Ewing, a fictional character, but nonetheless, he became very wealthy in the, the TV show, Dallas. So when the oil prices went up, all the oil producers were smiling big at the expense of consumers. Consumers are hurting. Then in the 1980s, oil prices began to steadily decline. And then a big plunge by uh, say mid 1980s, that little circle that you see. What was the consequence of that? Well, uh, the real estate market really suffered in Texas. All the oil producers went belly up. Uh, so it was a difficult time in the state of Texas, but Soviet Union collapsed. Berlin Wall fell down. You one can say many multiple reasons, but one key driver is without the money, how can you function? Uh, so with high oil prices, they could hide their inefficient economy, but when the oil prices tank, the Berlin Wall fell, the Soviet Union collapsed. And then since then, you see some volatility in the oil prices. Right now it's high. I mean, there's talk about the sanction of the Russian oil. And if American does not buy, Russia say, oh, no problem. Uh, we have uh, people in India who wanna buy, uh, people in China who wanna buy. Uh, so if the oil prices are high, Russia will still get their revenue. Germany cannot do economic sanction on Russian oil for the simple fact they need it. If they were to put sanctions, that means the factories in Germany would shut down. They cannot produce BMW, Mercedes, it would shut down. 
So this is how everything is integrated. So right now, oil prices remaining very high. Question is, how long will this last until we have a peace, end of the war? So how long? Well, here is a picture in the US, oil drilling orders and shipment of the drilling equipments. The red line that you see is right at the COVID introduction, that ugly COVID came to the country March, 2020. So what this chart showed is that drilling activity was stronger or more present in pre-COVID days. Post-COVID, well, first few months, everything uncertainty, so they did not drill. But now that the oil prices are so high, they should be drilling. But note that how we are not drilling even with high oil prices. This is implying that this high oil prices will be with us for quite some time. Certainly hitting realtors pocketbook because you drive more than the rest of the population. So without drilling, oil prices remain, will remain elevated. I am in NAR DC, first green designated building when it was built 15 years ago. It's the first green building. We all care about the climate change. We want green energy, clean energy, the solar panels, the windmill uh, source. So we like uh, the, the, the movement towards sustainability, the green energy, but we have to recognize the reality as well. It's gonna take time, five years, 10 years, 15 years to fully transition over to green energy, uh, which means that in the interim, we need this oil, natural gas. Without it, it's gonna be very, very disruptive. And given that we are not drilling, expect high oil prices to stick around and also Russia to continue to rake in some revenue uh, from these high oil prices. Now, it's related to the job market in the US. Michigan that you see is minus 2.6. So what does that imply? I'm comparing March, 2020, when that ugly COVID came to the country versus the most recently available data, which is January. So over almost two year time span, Michigan jobs, jobs in Michigan is still down 2.6% compared to pre-COVID days. Wisconsin, similar, Ohio, similar. Oh, Indiana is well, it's somewhat unique. Indiana actually has more jobs today versus pre-COVID days, very minimal, 0.3%. So you see some variation across the country. The orange color states are the only states with more jobs today compared to pre-COVID. The leading the way was actually Utah and Idaho. I mean, they are solid, 4.8%. Um, so they are leading the way. But look at Alaska. They're down, the darker blue color means they are down more than the rest of the population, just like Michigan is performing, underperforming. Alaska is underperforming. North Dakota is underperforming because uh, they are oil producers and without drilling, you don't have jobs. So Alaska, North Dakota down. Texas is well diversified. So they don't need oil to get their economy moving. So it's in the positive territory but you see some variation across the country uh, related to which area is performing better uh, in terms of jobs and which area is not performing. Now, this is the total number of jobs in the US. So from March, 2020, then you see the lockdown that occurred in April. So massive 20 million job losses, restaurant workers, hotel workers go home, 
there's nothing for you. Massive job losses. And of course, realtors were also very concerned and scared, uh, which is the reason why NAR, again, thank you, President Aaron Fox and all the other local association presidents, state association president, people come uh, participate at NAR uh, committee meetings. Through these efforts and your RPAC money, well, we were able to say that for the first time ever, the unemployment insurance should be available to independent contractors. So hopefully that you were able to tap into those funds during that lockdown. Of course, realtors like the commission check far better than unemployment check, but when everything was shut down, at least you should have some source of uh, income at that point. Now from the low point from the lockdown, with each passing month, America is generating jobs, generating jobs, but we are not back up to pre-COVID days yet. Most states like Michigan is down. Few states are positive, but still some, uh, I would say another six months before I think we can truly turn positive uh, in regards to job. Let's also keep in mind, this is essentially a two-year chart. Over that two-year time span, we have people graduating from high school, graduating from community college, graduating from universities. They're looking for jobs. So we should be far ahead of what it was two years ago, but right now we're only trying to return back to normal uh, given this uh, strange environment of the COVID. Now let's look at another angle on the labor market. As you know, as you walk down the downtown area, there's help one aside. It seemed like at a restaurant, hotel, and certainly at construction sites. We need more inventory, we need to build more homes, but the builders are having a hard time finding construction workers. Truck driver shortage. So there is a labor shortage you know, pretty much across the board. So two lines here. Red line is people who don't have job and searching for job, unemployed. And the blue line is job openings. What is very unique about current situation is there are far more job openings than people who are searching for job. In fact, the ratio is two to one. Hypothetically, an unemployed, unemployed person could find two jobs. This is how the situation in, is in America today. So very unique circumstance. Now, of course, some people say, no, I'm not interested in working for a restaurant or I'm not interested in working at a cashier. And that's very understandable. And trying to get that skill match is difficult. Say, if you're an architect, you got laid off, well, you are looking for that architect position and it may not be available. So even though we have a labor shortage, does not mean that person who lost a job as an architect will immediately try to find a job uh, at a, uh, say, department store cashier or anything like that. So right now we are in a labor shortage conditions. One thing that is driving labor shortage is this situation of labor force participation remaining little depressed, has not come back to the prior pre-COVID days. Economists are really looking into this data set very, very carefully. And it appears, not yet definitively, but we are still studying, it appears that many people who were in their late 50s and early, uh, early 60s decided to take early retirement from the COVID. Some people, maybe they uh, rightly were very concerned about the health issues. So they said, no, I'm not going back to work. Uh, I'm gonna stay home. I'm gonna be far away from any interaction with people that can lead to transmission of COVID. 
So that's very understandable. But another source of why people took early retirement is that home prices increased strongly and stock market was at record high last year. So people did their finances and said, look, I have enough money to retire. So they retire. Now that the stock market is wobbly, maybe some people decide to unretire. We have to wait and see. So uh, right now it's very interesting that we have a labor shortage partly driven by the fact that it appears that people took early retirement. So there is a labor shortage everywhere except for one industry. Here it is, NAR membership. Maybe people who took early retirement are saying, well, I still have some energy, I wanna do something. And I hear that the housing market is very hot. Maybe I wanna go into that industry. So NAR membership is an all-time high and still rising. I'm agnostic to this number, good, bad, however you wanna view it. I'm just trying to relay the reality. From realtor perspective, this is a fiercely competitive industry. I mean, we don't have enough inventory, but we have more members coming into the industry. So imagine a fresh realtor, their first client is their uncle. If they have the listing from their uncle, what does that mean? Rest of the realtors, well, that business is not available to you. So it is a fiercely competitive industry out there uh, in the current situation uh, with the membership rising um, and you know, not enough inventory, but at least home sales are clicking as soon as the inventory do show up. So at least there was a settlement uh, and the income generation uh, from that. But right now it is a fiercely competitive industry out there. Let's look at the job market specifically in the Lansing area, greater Lansing area. So this is a 20 year chart, or I should say 22 year chart from year 2000 to the most recent. So I'll put that red line as a reference point for year 2000. So job was uh, moving sort of horizontally in the first few years and then began to decline as part of the auto industry restructuring, Michigan really took a hit even before any national recession. You talk about the foreclosure crisis you know, that occurred about 15 years ago. Well, that was a nationwide phenomenon. But in Michigan, economic situation was bad even before that took place because of the massive transition that was occurring in the auto industry. So there was continuing job losses uh, if I had a picture of the Detroit market, I mean, it would look quite ugly, much uglier than what you see here. So uh, it went below the year 2000. Then you see the right near the middle of the chart, big decline. That's the foreclosure crisis, nationwide recession. Uh, and then we had the foreclosure crisis. But from the low point, Lansing began to create job, create job, and went above year 2000. Then COVID had boom, all those job creation got lost again in a single month. Now you are trying to climb out of it, but as you can see, you are still below year 2000 level. So Michigan underperforming in terms of job compared to the rest of the country. Lansing, uh, the total job situation right now uh, is low year 2000, below pre-COVID days, but at least it appears to try to move into the pot uh, upward slope. So uh, let's just you know, hope for the best in terms of the continuing month after month uh, job creation.
Phoenix is not your area, but just to provide contrast, because in Phoenix, home prices are rising about 30% from one year ago, just rapid increase. I get a question from reporters, which market in America is super hot? And I say to them, just about every place in America. I mean, if you have a 10% price increase, that is a strong market. So just about every place in America is strong, but within the strong market, which one really stand out? Well, it's places like Phoenix, where home prices are rising about 30% from one year ago. Why? Look at this comparison from year 2000. So from year 2000 to current, not only they have recovered all the job losses from the COVID lockdown, but total jobs today is about uh, 400,000 more compared to year 2000. 400,000, that will be about two times the size of Lansing job market. So Phoenix essentially added two Lansing in uh, their area over the past 20 years. So that's how fast the job creation is. Uh, and consequently, uh, the home prices rising uh, so strongly uh, in Phoenix market. Just trying to illustrate the importance of the job market condition to the local housing market condition and commercial real estate, you know, demand for office, demand for retail, uh, and all the other commercial real estate components. Consumer price inflation, 7.9% inflation. Grocery store bills are high. Gasoline, we already discussed many times, but airfares, just about everything is rising. Last year, many people thought it would be transitory, meaning that it would increase and it would begin to decline. Well, there's no sign of decline. Now with the uh, uh, food prices anticipated to rise more and the gasoline prices uh, from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, that disruption in that supply, uh, we can anticipate this elevated consumer prices. Not only is it 7.9% annoying, but it is the strongest inflation in 40 years. For people in the audience, if you are the age under 40, you have never seen anything like this. For the older generation, you may remember the 1970s, high inflation. Because inflation was so high, there was few time period where they had some strange phenomena, like going to the gas station. If your license tag at an even number at the end, then you can go to the gas station only on Mondays and Thursdays. Odd number, maybe on Tuesdays and Saturdays or something like that, some crazy things. I mean, fortunately we don't have those uh, strange things right now. It's just that uh, we're paying more at the pump. Uh, but high inflation, this is the highest inflation in 40 years, which is the reason why yesterday Federal Reserve announced they raise interest rates and they will do so multiple times for the remainder of the year in order to contain this inflation. Now inflation is a very negative economic data, but is there any positive sliver, positive silver lining to this? And again, I'm gonna just turn to the reality. As a real estate professional, you should be very mindful of the following. This shows home price movement and consumer price movement by each of the decade over a 10 year time span. 
1970s, high inflation. Consumer prices increased 7.1% per year. Next year, another 7%, or maybe even higher than you know, just averaging to be uh, 7%. So what did home prices do? Well, you did better than inflation. So at least if you're looking for a hedge against inflation on a real estate. What about 1980s? 1980s, the Federal Reserve went to turbocharge raising the interest rate so much, so quickly, such that mortgage rate at one point hit 18%. Let me repeat, mortgage rate at 18%. What happened to home sales when mortgage rate touched 18%? It crashed. You had no business. People are not buying home. 18%, those are crazy interest rates. So home sales essentially crashed downwards. So surely home prices would have crashed. But home prices did not. Home prices still increased 5.5%, matching up with consumer price inflation. And you say, how is that if people are not buying home? Because the rents were rising. So if you are an investor looking to buy stocks, bonds, or what do you want to invest? They recognize the rents are rising. So when the rents rise, any decline in home prices, the investors will quickly pick it up to rent it out and say, oh, I'm getting a good return. So rising rents provided support for home prices during the 1980s, even though a couple of years, uh, interest rates were just outrageously high. You see the other decades, 1990s, year 2000, and so forth, even during the foreclosure crisis on a national level, if you spend it out for 10 years, people still essentially matched up with consumer price inflation. Um, so if you have a potential client or just a colleague, you know, saying, oh, I hate this inflation. Inflation is eating into my pocketbooks. Now the stock market is wobbly. What do I do? Well, you can always say uh, that real estate has been a good hedge against inflation in the past. Now, nothing is guaranteed in the future, but this long historical data clearly shows home prices being a good hedge against inflation. Let's look at now the housing market in terms of the sales on a nationwide basis. Home sales recently completed year, 2021, was the best performance in 15 or 16 years. So but good performance, again, during the time of COVID. So home sales really rising. Now it is not as high as in 2005, but 2005 was an artificially high home sales. Subprime lending, anyone with a heartbeat, here's some money to buy a home, and it was bound to crash. I mean, in hindsight, you know, everything is clear view and we had a foreclosure crisis by giving those easy, risky mortgages. Today, mortgages are going only to high credit quality individuals. So we are on solid foundation, unlike the shaky Lucy mortgages of 2005. So home sales are doing exceptional performance uh, in the past two years during the COVID period. If we look at the specifically at a greater Lansing market, I went to the Michigan Realtors website and what I find at least last year is that sales year to date, uh, you know, sales increase in Lansing by 3%. Again, housing doing uh, quite a good performance while the prices increase 10.8%, double digit price appreciation. 
So again, quite remarkable uh, in terms of housing market during COVID. And you can say, why, why did the housing market really take off during COVID? And answer is really two reasons. One is when we had a lockdown and everyone was scared, Federal Reserve went all in to say, let's lower the interest rate as much as possible. So because of that, historically record low interest rate came about and people said, I wanna take advantage of low mortgage rates. So that fueled housing demand. The second reason for housing demand is, well, people wanted to get out from the apartment. They thought there's more spread of COVID at apartments. So if they could buy a home, they wanna buy a single family home or people living in condo, they were trying to go into single family and they'll work from home. Thankfully, we had high-speed internet available. If COVID occurred 20 years ago, whole American economy would have been whacked. But fortunately, for office workers that could work from home using high-speed internet, and consequently, they said, oh, I need a larger space. Maybe uh, if I don't have to commute every single day to Lansing or every single day to Detroit, maybe I can live in the next county, not have to worry about the commute. So all of these dynamics of working from home are so stimulated the housing demand. The median price in Lansing looks like the following. Again, 10% price increase last year. Middle of the chart shows that foreclosure crisis and the price declines. Can you believe that in 2009, 2010 period, the median price of a home in Lansing area was under 100,000. And you are saying, darn it, I should have picked up two or three additional property back then uh, because today prices are you know, approaching 200,000. So uh, price increases, very, very strong uh, during, especially during this COVID period. And people who are holding on to their property over the long haul, say from year 2000, they would have essentially doubled their uh, home value. Uh, but, but from the low point in 2010, uh, as you can see, you know, quite a right, remarkable uh, return. I think it was Warren Buffett who said, uh, when everyone is scared, this is when you make the decision. So during the foreclosure crisis, for people who had that extra cash on hand, uh, if you went in when everyone was scared, well, you would have uh, made a quite a good rate of return. Now, because prices are rising, it's hitting affordability. Home prices are expensive, therefore you have to take out a larger mortgage. But now that the mortgage rates are rising, and let's see the affordability condition in this simulation. I mean, you all have mortgage calculator, you can easily do this, but I thought that I just you know, put it out here uh, so, so that we can all look at the numbers together. So last year, average mortgage rate was 3%. So monthly payment would be about $843. This is just principal and interest, you know, not property tax, not homeowner insurance and such, just principal and interest. So last year, 3% mortgage rate, uh, that would be the payment. Today, it is 4%. So 4% mortgage rate is translating into roughly $100 additional in payment. And some people are saying, darn it, I missed the bonus rate of last year, but still 4% is not bad. And certainly it's not the 1980s, 18% mortgage rates. Let's say with the Federal Reserve continuing to raise interest rates or anticipated to raise interest rate, it goes up to 5% mortgage rates. I don't think so. 
I think most of the rate increase have already occurred in anticipation. So maybe by year end, 4.5% or maybe even only 4.3% is possibility. I don't think you will get up to five, but let's just say that it could go up to five. Then the monthly payment comes to well, $1,074, you know, Sometimes there's all these surprising uh, surprises. Then you see the payment. 10% mortgage rate is not a possibility. Just scratch that away. But for illustrative purposes, just put that up and you say, oh no, no one can buy a home at 10% mortgage rates. So you see how sensitive mortgage payment is to changes in mortgage rates. And right now we are in a rising interest rate environment, hurting affordability. People were getting challenged last year from rising prices. This year is more about rising mortgage rates that is beginning to impact affordability. Just looking at nationwide, not Lansing, but nationwide, this is a typical monthly payment to buy a middle-priced home. At the prevailing mortgage rates, you know, mortgage rate goes up and down, so you accounting for that. Uh, it looks like the following, and monthly mortgage payment has been steadily rising because home prices have been steadily rising. But this could turn, uh, make almost a hockey stick upturn uh, with now rising mortgage rates. Even though the mortgage payment is rising, people's income has also been rising over this time. So if you look at mortgage payment in relation to income, so mortgage payment in relation to income, housing affordability, it has remained fairly flat, so not really increasing. So even though the monthly payment has been rising over the past 10 years, at least people's income has been steadily rising over the past 10 years. But now I think it's gonna make again that upturn because rising mortgage rates. Uh, people's income do not grow by 10%, but that one percentage point change in mortgage rate, monthly payment rises, I think by 12% or something like that. So certainly mortgage payment is rising much faster than people's wage growth or income growth uh, currently and in the upcoming months and are so going into next year. So housing affordability to worsen uh, ahead, something to be very, very mindful of. Let's look at the mortgage rate in detail. This is two charts. Blue line is the average 30-year fixed rate. Most people have been taking the 30-year fixed rate, which is much safer mortgage instrument. Uh, and you see that it went to absolute low point in 2020, the COVID and 2021, essentially at 3%. The red line is what the Federal Reserve in Washington directly controls. Jay Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, he does not directly control mortgage rate. He controls the red line. And you can see the red line going up, down. So this is what the Washington policymaker is, uh, changing the dial, up, down, up, down. But note that blue line do not always react to red line proportionally. Certainly, uh, you can see that in sometimes it moves in the similar direction, but not always, not always. So some uh, poll just popped in. So let me just click that off my screen. Hold one second. All right. 
So you can see uh, that uh, sometimes uh, you know, it moves similarly, but not in the same one-to-one -one ratio. But then there are also period, for example, look at 2004 to 2006, red line went straight up, yet blue line barely budged. So it's also possible that even as the Federal Reserve raised interest rate, it may not budge all that much. So if you look at the most recently available data, note how the mortgage rate was already increasing even before Federal Reserve did anything. This is in just in anticipation. So the bond market was already anticipating the Federal Reserve would be raising interest rate several times this year. So it reacted already. So most of the change in mortgage rate, I believe has already occurred. Any subsequent change, even though the Federal Reserve will raise interest rate, I think those could be very minimal because big increases have already occurred in anticipation. The market priced in what the Federal Reserve was going to do. So my best estimate at the moment is that about 4.3% mortgage rate by the year end. Uh, I mean, you know, I gave you the scenario of 5% mortgage rates. Certainly it could happen. You know, I, I could be wrong. Uh, uh, but uh, I think uh, based on my assessment, most of the rate increase, mortgage rate increase have already occurred. So even as the red line continues to increase for the remainder of the year, the blue line may change only minimally. Here's a recent survey of consumers, February of this year by the New York Federal Reserve related to the housing market. Home prices, what do you think will happen to home prices over the next 12 months? So consumers, American consumers, your clients on average, their expectation is home prices will rise about 5.1%. What about in subsequent years? They're saying, well, maybe in 2023, 2024, home prices will rise more slowly, 2%. I think it's gonna depend on consumer price inflation. Again, that hedge, if the consumer price inflation is high, it's gonna catch up with the consumer price inflation. What about rents? People believe the rents will rise 6.6% over the next 12 months. So if you are renters, I mean, people are saying rents are rising very fast, much faster than even home prices which is the reason I think the real estate investors are just snooping around, looking for bargains, looking for any foreclosure property. Uh, if not a foreclosure property, just randomly giving a call to the homeowner. Do you wanna sell? Do you wanna sell? Uh, because the rents are rising strongly. And rent growth expectation over the next five years is stronger than home price growth expectations. Then here's the following question. With a mortgage rate up, Home prices having you know, risen so, uh, strongly, all this consideration, would you say buying a home is a good financial investment? And you can see by very large margin, people say, yes, it is a good investment. While very few people, only 6.6% .6 of the people say it is a bad investment. So most people, as you're walking down the street, most people believe buying a home will turn out to be a good investment. So keep that in mind uh, as how the consumer's mindset is as you are trying to conduct your business. Now inventory, as we know, it is exceptionally low, historically low. This is just a raw count of homes listed 
on the market on a nationwide basis, locally, you should show a very similar trend. There was an elevated inventory during the foreclosure crisis. Who's gonna buy all this home? Um, and then it's been steadily declining. But I think that we are ready to turn the corner this year. It does not mean that we will get to the balanced market condition, but the worst in inventory will soon come to an end. I know that multiple offers is still you know, quite prevalent, but steadily with more inventory coming, multiple offer situation, I think will steadily dissipate as well. So why do I anticipate the inventory level will turn the corner? And here's why. The builders are very active. They wanna produce more. So housing start is on the upward path. There's an economic incentive. There's a profit motive. I know the builders are facing rising costs, higher lumber costs. The doorknob is stuck in a container ship out in the ocean and not being delivered. Garage door not arriving on time. So there are some supply chain difficulties, but whatever they build and tack on the additional cost into the final price, consumer said, okay, I will buy. So there is an economic incentive for the builders to build more and they are responding. Housing completions, not housing starts. This is housing starts. Housing completion will take a little longer. Again, the supply chain disruptions, but at least uh, the chain reaction or cascading effect of you know, housing start to building to housing completion still will steadily occur and more homes will begin to show up on the market. Now, some of you may say builders are becoming very stingy. They don't wanna pay realtors any commission income anymore. Uh, I hope the builders are not thinking that. Remember when the market was down, how they were begging the realtors to bring their clients? So I hope they are fairly consistent. But nonetheless, when the builders bill, generally it's for trade-up buyers, more expensive homes. So someone will trade up into the new homes and in the process, they will put their old home into the multiple listing service for the realtors to be engaged in. So this helps in the overall inventory condition. The second source of inventory, which is not shown on the chart, but which is a, uh, this difficult COVID tragedy that has been inflicted. In America, the estimates are about 1 million Americans passed away from COVID. This is a large number. And you, one can even actually look at the death certificate chart, how the, the number, you know, roughly about 2 million Americans die each year. And suddenly you made a sharp upturn during the COVID years, implying that uh, it's been a very difficult uh, couple of years during this uh, COVID. So death in COVID is primarily among the elderly, people in their 70s, people in their 80s. People need help. Maybe a person has become a widow and they don't need a large home anymore and they want to downsize. Or it's an estate sale. No one is living at home anymore because of this tragedy of COVID. And estate sale, after going through the normal legal process, uh, will show up as an inventory. So Americans need help in the housing adjustment because of this terrible uh, tragedy of COVID situation. Crossing my fingers, I hope we are out of it, soon out of it. I know the cases are falling drastically. I know we want to get back to normal life go to the sports games, uh, you know, we want to get back to normal. And I'm glad uh, that some of you are meeting in person there trying to get, you know, a sense of normalcy. 
So inventory will be more this year from two important sources, builders building more, and second, COVID tragedy leading to elderly needing some housing adjustments. My final chart is what you can anticipate regarding the market. I don't do a local market forecast, but the way to view it is when you see a national forecast, you can say Phoenix will outperform national because of the strong job market. While Michigan may slightly underperform, but there is a one very good thing about the Midwest, Ohio, Kentucky, Michigan is affordability. Some people say who graduated from Michigan State now works at San Francisco in high tech firm, but now they say you can work from anywhere and maybe they have some nostalgia about good times they were experienced while growing up in Michigan. And they said, well, I can buy a mansion in Lansing and work for this high tech company uh, somewhat based in San Francisco, but I don't have to work in office anymore. I can work from home. So you may begin to see that affordability attraction towards the Midwest, so that may help. But this is the national forecast. So 2021 was a very solid year. Home sales positive, home sales you know, exceptional, 16.9%. So the dollar volume combination of both up 25%. 2022 this year, I think the sales will come down a bit because of higher mortgage rates. We are still seeing multiple offers because normally when the interest rate increase, it doesn't impact the market right away. The serious buyers are undeterred. They're still in the market. But steadily, as we proceed through the upcoming months, some of the first-time buyers are simply priced out. They could qualify at 3% mortgage, but no longer at 4%, and they say, no, I give it up. So uh, home sales will come down just up modestly, nothing major, uh, modest decline. Home prices still rising because we still have housing shortage. Next year, 2023, I think the job creation, hopefully this continues. So it will be the job creation that provides support for housing, home prices again in no danger of declining. So if you thought last year was good, essentially 2022 and 2023 is saying it's gonna at least minimally match that in terms of the dollar volume. I know there's much more competition out there, more realtors competing for business. Some will always do well, independent of the economic cycle, housing market cycle, they have a good client base. But others will be challenged just because of so many realtor competition, record high membership. So with this backdrop, I wish you all the best uh, in this, this year and upcoming year. And thank you for providing me the opportunity to share some of my thoughts regarding the market and the economy. Thank you.